Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is the GM Shuffle. Who is the best team in the NFL? And I say this respectfully because I think it's going to make an incredible playoff series. I don't think there is one. I don't think there is one is my answer. And and I'm so happy to see it. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. Presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to a special pre-Thanksgiving edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VEASAN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. Michael, obviously, a lot of people will be traveling. Hopefully, everyone can get to their destinations safe, happy, and healthy. We can spend the weekend with our loved ones, eat a lot of food, consume a lot of football. But uh, today, Michael, before we get into the football is a big day in American history, as always. We uh, always re- recognize November 22nd as the anniversary of the JFK assassination, this year being the 60th anniversary. I know that this is something that you have taken uh, a fascination with, with as it pertains to the storytelling surrounding the JFK assassination. So as somebody who uh, obviously has a liking to this, uh, uh, I guess, history of this, uh, w- w- what's your mindset at? What are you thinking about? And uh, I guess what have you been reading this morning? Well, I mean, I've read all the time about it. If anybody asks what's my hobby, I would say solving JFK. Not that I'm going to be able to solve it because it's too complicated. It's too complex. My second Uh hobby is harassing Gerald Posner online uh, as he tries to continue to to spread this narrative that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone when, you you know, yesterday. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going. He's probably blocked me by now. Nor do I care. You know, like seriously, like listen to some of the facts. I, I think to me, 60 years, it's time for somebody to tell the truth. And you know, I, I, we're it's starting to get into the mainstream media. What's interesting about the case for me has always been, it's kind of been a commentary on the media more than anything, because this story is what the media chooses to cover and what they don't choose to cover what narrative they want to promote, you know, and what narrative they don't want to promote. And it all is comes down to that. It's not finding the truth. And now we're seeing Rob Reiner and Soledad O'Brien. They have a podcast about it, which is great, right? I mean, Matt Crumpton's done the Solving JFK podcast, which is great. James D'Angino, who is one of the foremost experts on this, right? He's got all the facts. And, you know, he's offered a debate. Posner, of course, he's retreated, you know, like a bad army. You know, he's not going to touch that for a million years because he can't defend it. And I feel bad for like Jim Gasson's family, who was ridiculed, who was made a fool of, who they just basically said was a what they did everything they could to discredit him when he actually was the only one. He was a great American for trying to uncover the truth. Now, did he have it all? No, but he had us in the right direction. So. To me, it's really a commentate. This whole assassination is a commentary on the lack of balanced media coverage that has extended beyond all the borders that we live in, whether it's political, whether it's the NFL. It's whatever narrative they want to come up with. I mean, I I mean, it it extends everywhere. So I was lucky, Femi. I mean, you weren't even born yet, but I was only three when it happened. Uh, and had just turned, had just turned, excuse me, I was four when it happened, had just turned four. And I got involved with it when I was hanging out with a bunch of guys from Temple and they were showing me the umbrella man, about a guy sit, standing in Dealey Plaza with an umbrella up. Now it rained earlier in the day that day, but his umbrella was up and the sun was out. And that, that's a little peculiar. And then you start reading about it. And, you know, they always have these different tales that they tell. But they can't really escape it. They just discredit all the witnesses, whether it's Lee Bowers in the railroad tower or Richard Case Nagel, who there's been many books on about how he walked into a bank in El Paso, Texas, and uh, two days before the assassination and fired two shots to the top, to the ceiling so he could get arrested so that he wouldn't be the patsy in the case. So there's so much of that. And I, I keep trying to figure out where will this all unravel? Why hasn't it unraveled yet? Whether it's the gun, whether it's the magic bullet, you know, people think J.D. Tippett was a hero, right? 
you know, and they think that he was and he his family got funded over millions of dollars because he was allegedly shot by by Oswald when when that's not even true. Right. And so to me, it's just been and it's ongoing. And I tell my two sons, I'm like, look, I know I'll be gone. But somebody come to wherever you put me and just tell me who actually did it. I kind of know who did, but just confirm it. And that's why it, it, I, I, I find it really hard to believe that people can still cling to Lee Harvey Oswald was on the sixth floor. He thought, fired three shots. He ran down the steps. No one saw him. He jumped onto a car. He jumped onto a, a he walked. Then he jumped the bus. Then he walked a, block, a mile away from his house. Then he ran to. Then he then he shot. Then he then he ran to where he shot a, a Tibbet. Then he ran to the movie theater and you know and he's the lone nut. But yet he kept saying he was a patsy. You know, like at some point, if you just put it up on a whiteboard and said, "Okay, here's where we are," there's no way you could come up with it. It just shows us how stupid we are, and we'll believe anything. I mean, yeah, if you say something long enough, it ends up becoming the truth, I guess, is kind of the, the, the media strategy with a lot of this stuff here. But it's interesting because you mentioned that, like, you, you're like, you don't know when the, the truth will end, end up eventually be uncovered here with this JFK assassination and everything. Like, do you think that there's still going to be that hunger and that thirst for it? Because, like, obviously, like, this is now generations that have passed. Like, you mentioned, like, you were very young when it happened. Like, for me, obviously, my generation, I was born decades afterwards. It doesn't resonate with me as, like, 9-11 resonates with me because that was yeah, like, a very, sure. like, a flashpoint moment for me in my life and stuff but like like do you think that will ultimately because if there's a podcast and there's still content about it and like you google jfk assassination there's a ton of different things right now about it because it's now the 60th anniversary that hey like maybe this will ultimately be uncovered about what actually happened on that day in november 22nd 1963 well we'll have we have voices that are still singing loud whether it's oliver stone whether it's rob reiner now we got people that want to get to the bottom of it and i think more than anything you know the scar that lays on our nation's history vietnam it, it really ends, starts with the, the, the assassination of JFK, who gave a speech at American University about, you know, freedom, about peace that disrupted the, the, the war machine in, in our government. And that created a lot of issues. Now, we've got more two more movies coming out. Right. We've got a movie that uh, David Mamet, I think the guy who wrote Glengarry Glenn Ross, he's doing it from the from the crime element, from the mafia point of view. And then there's another one coming out. So I think it's staying in the mainstream. Look, one thing we know about our our country's viewing history, we love murder mysteries. Yeah, I mean, we love I mean, everybody's Angela Lansbury on Murder, She Wrote. Hell, I got a typewriter behind me that's from Murder, She Wrote. So like we love that. The problem we don't have is we don't have a judge here. Like it's a fact. And Matt Crumpton says this on Solving JFK. Uh, and he's a lawyer. He said, there's no way they could have convicted Lee Harvey Oswald in any court of law. There's no way. And Posner's up there patting himself on the back with, you know, I don't know how he gets his suits tailored, his arms so long, patting himself on the goddamn back saying he had the case done. The thing I think people misconstrue is we had an element of our government that we were in the CIA called, and it was a mocking, it was called Mockingbird. And so Mockingbird was a covert operation to where we would hire newspaper people in different countries to spin stories so we could overthrow the government, so that we could get the, the version of the narrative that we wanted out. And they were on the payroll. And it's a fact. I mean, you can look it up in the, re in the National Archives. So that, that, that Mockingbird operation is the same one they used on us in this case. So it's nothing new, you know? And so today, 60 years, you know, we have to sit here and try to people tell us that, you know, we have you know, that he acted alone when people on the ground at the site swear that the bullets came from over by the grassy knoll. And there's no judge to say this is right or wrong because only Garrison's the one who's brought it to trial. Last question for me on this is, uh, what annoys you more? Uh, people who say Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone in the JFK assassination or people who say that Bruce Springsteen is a one-hit wonder? <laughs> what well, grinds I, I your think, gears look, more? Bruce <laughs> Both do, but Bruce Springsteen's an acquired taste, right? That's an acquired taste. And, and I can't judge anybody who doesn't like my taste. That's not fair. Uh -huh. The facts are, the facts are really simple. Oswald did not act alone. In fact, there's ballistics tests. He didn't even fire a gun that day. They have that. We know Paul Landis just came out with a, he found the magic bullet, right? We That's what he's claiming. So to me, I, I get really angry with the people that claim that Oswald did, did, did it himself because there's facts to disprove it. You're just not willing to look at the facts. You're not willing to kind of take into account 
if you that Jack Ruby was in was in Dealey Plaza that day, why did Jack Ruby kill Oswald? If you just ask yourself that question, why did he do it? Oh, because he loved America, because he didn't want Mrs. Kennedy to suffer. Can we stop that nonsense, please? People say, well, he left his dogs in the car. And why would he do that? He loved his dogs. He basically his car was packed like a suicide. He basically wanted someone to take care of his life because he knew what he was going to go do because Tippett didn't kill Oswald. That was the issue. But anyway, that I would say that it's the facts, but we got to get on the football. Let's, Let's get on the football. Thanksgiving is this weekend. Uh, once again, happy Thanksgiving to everybody who's listening. We're thankful for all of you guys who subscribe, rate, and review and uh, follow along with the podcast. And we got a couple minutes left in this segment. We'll carry the conversation on to the next one. But Monday Night Football was a fantastic game. Like I enjoyed watching it. Great defense, timely offensive <laughs> plays, mistakes, unfortunately, for the Kansas City Chiefs. But the Eagles, once again, eke out a win 21-17 in the Super Bowl rematch here. And for Philly, it's kind of the same song of, after the game, Jalen Hurd said, we didn't play our A game, but we still won. That's a good sign. And then for Kansas City, a lot of the conversation is, do they have enough in the pass-catching department to repeat as Super Bowl champions? Kind of your thoughts here from what we saw Monday Night Football. Well, I mean, look, the Chiefs haven't scored in the second half in three games. Three straight Think games. Think about that. Yeah. Three straight games haven't scored in the second half. Now, they've dropped – I mean – Big Daddy told me yesterday, I thought it was three. He claims it's five. He was so happy when Scantling dropped the pass. He was celebrating. You thought he won, you know, because he hated he hated him when he was with, with the Packers. <laughs> and, he, you know, they had to play him. And see, that proves that he's right in his evaluation that he dropped that pass. All comes back to good. I think there's a couple things going on with the Chiefs. I think two teams are very similar, Miami and the Chiefs, that the perception is they're being run by their offense. And they may have moments that their offense is really elite, but they're truly defensive teams. They're truly def- – and the Chiefs are a defensive team. And Andy Reid knows it. And then when Andy Reid went for it and was conservative at the end of that game when he punted, I think he was trying to win the game with his defense. I think there's no question. Because his offense has no explosiveness. The set longest pass play was 17 yards. If you were to tell somebody that Andy Reid's going to go into a game – and run the ball as much as he ran the ball against a good run defense, right? I mean, again, I mean, what we know the enemy's sitting there saying, Andy would have been proud of me. I called 55 straight pass. I mean, he called 30 straight passes. He he called 30 runs in this game. Mahomes had 43 attempts for 177 yards. I mean, so there's fundamentally they're not explosive on offense. They're gonna have to play a different way. And I think that's what we saw on Monday night. Yeah, they were kind of dinking and dunking it on Monday Night Football just because, like you mentioned, they can't really make those explosive plays. And a lot of defenses now say, hey, we're going to key in on Travis Kelsey. We're going to bracket him and make these other guys beat you. And it's Marquez Valdez-Scanling. It's Sky Moore. It's like guys who don't you don't fear driving to the stadium, as we like to say here on the GM no. Shuffle podcast. Those are guys that uh, kind of just jags. We'll continue to talk about this game and see the whole landscape on the other side. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know, it's, it's interesting because obviously Kansas City's offense is not the explosive offense that we'd become grown accustomed to since Mahomes took over in 2018. But I think there's also a version of the game to where 
if Travis Kelsey doesn't fumble the football, maybe they get some points there, yeah. at least a field goal. And obviously Marquez Valdez-Scantling, which, yes, he has a propensity to drop footballs. Like, that's why Big Daddy was glad to see him go in Green Bay. But, like, if he just catches that pass, like, maybe this is Kansas City wins the game by a field goal instead of losing this game. Like, is, do you chalk up any of this to bad luck here? Or is there, like, actual systemic problems with the Kansas City offense? I think because their offense isn't great, isn't explosive, and it's not what we're used to, their margin for error is slighter. If Mahomes doesn't throw the interception in the red zone, I mean, they're two for three in the red zone, and they're basically two for four in the red zone, and two of the two of the times they don't score turnovers. They have two red zone turnovers, right? And so they win that game, and they're, so all it's telling us is their margin for error is slimmer. They can't overcome the mistakes where in the past they could, and we would look past them, but they can't do that any longer. They have to play perfectly. They've got to protect the football. They've got to win special teams. They've got to play a three-dimensional game, and I think Andy sees that. I know Andy knows that you know his receivers are not reliable. They don't catch the ball, and you know it's it's going to be challenged. Now, when they go against a bad team or a team that you know can't really match up to them up front, that you know they'll they'll we'll be having the pod. Oh, the Chiefs are back. Are they back? No, timeout. They're not. It's like Miami. I mean, we think of Miami as this unbelievable offense, which they were earlier in the season. But in the last four games, Femi, they've turned it over seven times. They averaged 20 points a game. They've only averaged 84.75 yards rushing. In the prior games, not counting the Bronco game, which you got to throw that game out, right? They averaged 148. So, but where they're really becoming much better is defensively, right? Defensively, you can't run the ball on them, right? Hard to run the ball. They're creating turnovers with their defense. So it's you've got to adjust your team to what's happening. And I think Andy is doing that. I think he is doing that. He cannot go in there and just say, Pat, win the game. they got to play complementary football, and I think he's going to do that. And Philly, for whatever reason, I mean, Philly, you know, their passing game was non-existent there. I mean, they made the big play, the 41-yarder to Smith, but you know, it, 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 what their run game isn't as explosive. I mean, Hurts, how many quarterback draws are they going to call? I mean, the guy had 12 carries for 29 yards. And, and he sacked five times. In the, now, I know a lot of those quarterback draws are, auto, are, are check with me's at the line. You can see Kelsey when he changed the direction of the run. You can see that based on front and looks and all that. So, but I don't see Philly. Like, my question to you is after that game, when I got done watching it and Big Daddy celebrated around the kitchen, for the Scantling, Valdez Scantling drop, uh, who is the best team in the NFL? And I say this respectfully because I think it's going to make an incredible playoff series. I don't think there is one. I don't think there is one is my answer, and, and I'm so happy to see it. Yeah, I mean, it's going to make the final six weeks of the season that much more interesting, and obviously the playoffs, as you mentioned, because like, this sort of goes back to like, the, the Bill Parcells saying of, hey, like we, you start to figure out who you are around Thanksgiving. Well, Thanksgiving is tomorrow. And like we yep. still don't really know who that team is. Like Philly has the record at nine and one. They have the best record, but it doesn't look like it looked last year when it was like, oh, this is a dominant football team. Their fastball, nobody can hit it, and it's gonna have to take a great performance to beat them. And it's not like, like we don't have that uh, situation this year. And on the AFC side, Kansas City has problems. We see Miami offensively. They like they haven't been that explosive team there. Buffalo, I mean, they, they've been turning the ball over left and right. And I guess last week they figured some stuff out, but that was also against the New York Jets. Baltimore maybe, but now they're banged up with Mark Andrews. Like, I, I'm with you. Like, I think in the NFC, if you, if you pin me down, I think I'd still lean towards San Francisco in the NFC as the best team in that conference. But it all remains to be seen the rest of the way here. Like, the six weeks will tell us the story. No question. I mean, like, let's take Philly, for example. Look, Philly has this ability to win the game. And we have, the, and we judge Philly's performances like we're in the Olympics. And there's the Russian yeah. judge, the, there's the Polish judge, Style there's the points. Italian judge, throw out, the, you know, like, like they find ways to win the yeah. game. But where they're different this year, and Hertz isn't quite the same player he was in terms of throwing the football. But where they're not the same team this year is last year they had 204 points in the second quarter alone. 204 in the second quarter alone. And so now, you know, this year they've scored 68 points in the second quarter. Like they're just not jumping on top of people in early in the game and dominating. Now that doesn't mean they can't win. You know, that doesn't mean they can't win. 
They've made plays. They have a they have a great ability to find a way to win the game. So you got to give them credit for that. But that means they're vulnerable. You, you know, they could have an off day. I mean, look, Dallas is first and go first and five at the six. Can't get it in the end zone. Kansas City drops a pass, turns it over twice. I mean, their margin is what we talked about with Kansas City earlier, right? They have a slim margin, but they're making the plays to win, and they're hiding some of their sins by doing so. Yeah, and like, like Hertz wasn't great Monday night. I mean, 14 to 22, 150, and an interception. Probably one of the worst games he's played this season, but they made the big pass to Devontae Smith, and they get in and take the lead there to where like, they are making the plays, and their opponents, who are in that same weight class, are not making those plays. And I think one team that we can cross off, Michael, from this contending list is a team that we thought was going to start to join that conversation. That's the Cincinnati Bengals, obviously Joe Burrow. We didn't mention it on Monday. Obviously, we got caught up with all of the games uh, from Sunday reacting to that stuff, but obviously last Thursday, Burrow, uh, messes with his wrist, the torn ligament in the right wrist there to where he's done for the season. And that puts them in a blow. And to where you look at the AFC landscape, if Burrow's not going to be in the playoffs and you kind of cross Cincinnati off, the Bills, while, yes, last week was good, they have an incredibly difficult schedule coming up there. Four of these next six games on the road playing really good teams. If they can't get in, then it's is it just Lamar and Mahomes as the quarterbacks that you really trust in the AFC conversation? Like this Burrow injury is big for the AFC landscape and the landscape of the NFL as a whole. No question. And and to me, like Zach Taylor, I was talking to somebody today in the league about this. Like to me, Zach Taylor puts all his chips in the Burrow basket, right? Because there's no run game in Cincinnati. There's no balance to what Cincinnati does offensively. They're 32nd in rushing attempts. This is before they lost Burrow. They're 30th in yards, 26 in touchdown runs, and they're 26 in yards per attempt. They have no diversity in their portfolio. Everything falls on the shoulders of Burrow. Okay? And he's great. And he's great. But the problem is when you don't have a three-dimensional team like Andy Reid does, right? You could say Andy Reid's a West Coast offense guy all you want, but the son of a bitch is a tough coach. Their, their teams are tough, and if he wants it like he did the other night, 30 runs, he can run it. He's different than all these other West Coast guys who preach about, well, we're going to throw the ball. No, Andy could if he wanted to. He just knows that you've got to throw to score. Whereas Cincinnati's so one-dimensional, so now you're replacing you're replacing a great player with Browning. Like, how can you run the same offense? You say you can't. You can't do it. You got to change, right? Well, you're not conditioned to change. You have no. You, your, your offensive linemen this time of the season are their pad levels not down. They're going to play too high. They're used to run block, and they're not equipped to come out and run the ball. They might get a run here or a run there. I mean, but you think they're going to run the ball on Pittsburgh and block that front? I mean, Pittsburgh's going to dare the kid to throw the ball to beat him. He's going to say, okay, you, you want to get to 11? Good. You go to 11. We'll, we'll just fucking play, we'll play base defense against your 11 and make him throw it 35 times. How's that going to work out for you? Not good. At least I don't think it's going to go well for, for Jake Brown. Right, so to me, it's, it's really about this is the problem with the league. There's not enough thought to how to set up your team in case something happens. Right. You've got to be able to say you've got to be able to play the game. Great teams can play the game anyway. Like there's if you only can play one style, eventually that style, it's like baseball pitchers. If you only have a fastball, you can't go nine innings. So as a head coach, you're sitting there. You have to develop your team to figure out who do we have to beat in November and December and what kind of team do we need to have at that point? And that's where I think we're missing it. Buffalo, that's where they miss it. Cincinnati misses it. I mean, Andy Reid does it. I mean, the other night was a perfect example because, as you said, well, I mean, if they if they don't turn it over twice in the red area and catch a pass, that game plan worked. That game plan worked. Which kind of leads me to what Tom Brady said earlier this week. He was with Stephen A. Smith on his show and was talking about the level of play in the NFL and said that there's mediocrity right now across the league. He, he quote, does not see the excellence that he saw in the past. This was the full quote. I think there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. I don't see the excellence that I saw in the past. I think the coaching isn't as good as it was. I don't think the development of young players is as good as it was. The rules have allowed a lot of bad habits to get into the actual performance of the game. And he talked about kind of like the rules are trying to protect players versus when he was playing, he would try to protect his own teammate by saying, hey, if Ray Lewis is sitting there in the middle of the defense. I'm not going to throw over the middle of the field for my receiver to get knocked out. Like, like it's it's a little bit of a lot of things going on right now as to why we're seeing a little bit of a of a product that's not as great as what we saw in the past, according to Tom Brady. 
Yeah, I think this too. You know, I think the rules too, not the rules of the game, the rules of the offseason have changed this, right? We're sitting here and somebody, Bill Berman told me, sent me a message. The Wall Street Journal had a column out that there's over a billion dollars of quarterbacks not playing in the NFL. And so how is this possible, right? We've made all the rules so you can't hit the quarterback. When Johnny U played, nobody was protecting his ass, right? You know, when Dan Fouts played, nobody was protecting his Even when Joe Montana was playing, nobody protected his ass. So, like, we're protecting them more than we ever have, and yet we're getting injuries. Why? Why would that be? Well, the reason is really simple, player development. We've taken away the ability for the offensive and defensive line coaches to spend time in the offseason developing the players, particularly the offensive linemen. Like, offensive linemen need this work year-round. They need to be in there. They need to lift weights. They need to work on their fundamentals and techniques. It's a 12-month job to be a good lineman. And because we've taken that away, we've got a bunch of shitty linemen out there, an abundance of bad linemen. And that affects the game. But nobody will see it from that. They're looking for the one cure. Well, let's just protect the quarterback. It goes back to the great story about the bank in Paramount, California, right, that got robbed continuously, was on the FBI's top 100 list, uh, top five, top 10 list of banks that were robbed, right? And what do they try to do? They do exactly what the NFL does. We're going to put more security guards in there. We're going to put plexiglass. We're going to put cameras. We're going to do all that crap, right? Still the top 10. One day, an intern comes in and says, just park a, why don't we just park a, a, a broken down police car, clean it up, put it in front of the bank. You know what happened? Never got robbed again. Okay. Because that solved the problem. They keep looking for false solutions. The solutions to help the quarterback lie in the player development of offensive linemen. Yeah. And if you pull any fan base, I think a lot, most fan bases would say, we don't have a good offensive line. And that's spread out throughout the year. And a lot, a lot of the times where it's like the old linemen, the starters are pretty solid. But once you get those injuries, the drop off from starting old linemen to backup old linemen is like the size of the Grand Canyon. The delta is massive there. And unfortunately, we have a lot of QB injuries. We'll talk more about this on the other side and also some coaching changes as well on the GM Shuffle. Michael, you mentioned that uh, the billions of dollars of quarterbacks that we have sitting on IR right now. This is the list of season-ending injuries. Joe Burrow, Deshaun Watson, Kirk Cousins, Daniel Jones, Anthony Richardson, and Aaron Rodgers, which kind of kicked everything off week one on Monday Night Football. Like It's been a mass unit for these quarterbacks, and unfortunately, this is like when you get these quarterbacks hurt, the level of play drops, and I'm sure the league will try to put another Band-Aid on this this offseason. Maybe we won't be able to hit yeah. the quarterback. Maybe it's two-hand touch the rest of the way for, for these quarterbacks. They'll, They'll still get, get hurt. And they probably They'll will. They'll still get hurt. <laughs> I mean, we're seeing proof of that right now. I mean, until we decide to allow the, the two things have to happen. We got to get coaches that are willing to to protect the quarterback in a better fashion. I mean, you think? I mean, I, I I've said this numerous times. If I was Sam Howell's father, I'd be screaming at Eric Bieniemy because they're not helping him at all. I mean, getting him killed. I mean, seriously, how that kid isn't hurt, I have no idea. The it's amount of hits tough. he's taken, forget the sacks, yeah. right? But it's what the worst thing that's happened to pro football is the Madden game. The Madden game has transformed itself into the NFL because everybody calling plays on Sunday is like the Madden game. You know, Sean Payton, it's funny. Somebody sent me this, and it's so true. Sean Payton, I listen to all this stuff out there. You know, he's too conservative. He, you know, he, he's settling for field goals. So on this win streak, he's only gone for it on fourth down four times. He's two for four. He's kicked 14 field goals, and he's winning games because he's taking the points. He's not trying to do something out of the ordinary. He's keeping his quarterback healthy. He's managing the game. But now we're into this, we got to get stats. We got to get stats. You know, Washington, oh, man, they could throw the ball. Look at their stats. I heard somebody say the other day, man, the enemy's proven he's a head coach. Look at him throwing the ball. They can't win a game. They turn it over six times. How's that proven anything? You know, it's like, it's like the other day I heard somebody say, well, Justin Fields, one of our dear friends said, Justin Fields fumbled, but he played great. No, he fumbled like he always does. That's not playing great. Did he look good in the game? I thought, as I said on Monday, I thought it was the best he's been. But we're not having enough people to defend the quarterback. Keeping the quarterback upright is the job of the offensive coordinator. You got to make sure he's protected. And, and you could ask Brady. Don't ask me. Brady would say that. Like, like I'm not protected. When you throw three-step drops, the quarterback should not get hit. 
He's not going to get hit. Right? You cannot. You got to throw three step, get the ball out. It shouldn't never take. It's not the lineman if you get sacked. Like there's got to be better coaching of protecting the quarterback. And I think Brady was talking about that. So it's player development. It's offensive technology of coaching. It's not always we're going to just throw it up the field and see what we do and get our quarterback killed. Yeah. It's it's managing and calling the game for your team, not just like what the consensus like on, opinion says. On that's, the specific on that day, day of the game. Yes. 100%. Which is that's what Sean Payton is doing. And that's what Andy Reid is doing as, as you outlined earlier in this pod. Like hey, like he's he knows we can't be the pass happy team. We got to run the ball 30 times against Philadelphia and try to go ahead and uh, and go about it that way. Just unfortunately, they had a couple drops and some some fumbles and and there you go, you lose the game. Uh, let's get into the Thanksgiving Day slate though. Thanksgiving my favorite holiday, Michael. I don't know about you. We get three games, which is absolutely phenomenal. We get food, we get the bourbon, we get the friends and family. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, and it starts bright and early in the morning for us here on the West Coast. Green Bay at Detroit. The Lions seven and a half point favorites, total 47 in this game here. Uh, is this a a coronation on national TV for the Lions or can Big Daddy's Packers keep this game close? Oh, can you imagine how good it's going to be on Thanksgiving Day? Before you even take a bite, I'm going to listen to him bitch for three fucking hours straight. And they go through every single you, draft pick. Get that bourbon this, going, Michael. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, without, and, you know, go, in between smokes. I mean, somebody told me the other day, you should video stream this and sell tickets. And I think it would be a, I'd make a fortune off of it. It'd be so good. Look, I, I think the one thing that's been pretty clear is the home to the favorites in these games usually win, with the exception of Dallas. Yeah. I mean, Dallas has lost four straight a- ATS games on Thanksgiving. They're 1-11 on the past 12 Thanksgiving games. I mean, they haven't done well according to Bet Lab. So favorites on Thanksgiving are usually very profitable. You know, they're usually very profitable. So when you look at it, you say, okay, this is a great opportunity to play to play Detroit because the line, the favorites typically win here and Detroit didn't play their best game, still won the game by five, even though the bears turned up, even though the bears were minus were, were plus three in the turnover takeaway. It's the first four turnover game uh, that that they had. I mean, they had three turnovers against Seattle and lost. And the last time Goff threw three interceptions was back in 2019 when he played with the Rams against the Bucks. So, I got a feeling they're going to be able to throw the football. The Packers are a confusing team defensively because, you know, the last time they played the Lions, they gave up 211 yards on on the ground, right? And they they give up. Certain teams can run the ball on them and certain teams can't. And when Detroit can run the ball like that, they're going to be hard to play. I, I, I like Detroit. I think Detroit bounces back. You know, when they lost to Seattle, they came back. They beat Atlanta 20-6. to six. I think Detroit will move the football. I think it's going to be a long day for Big Daddy. Yeah, that's how I see it too. I think they kind of bounce back in Detroit, especially in the national TV window as well. Like, like, like this has always been like, oh, like Detroit's one national game. They usually get beat by Green Bay or by somebody. The tables have turned. I think Detroit's going to be uh, able to show up and show out in this game here. How about my Dallas Cowboys, who you mentioned have been bad against the number uh, on Thanksgiving. They won last year against the Giants. The Giants kind of snuck in in that back door there. But uh, the Cowboys now 12-point favorites against the Washington yeah. Commanders. They're like, that's a big number, man. I mean, but see, here's where I think you got to give the Cowboys some credit, McCarthy, and nobody wants to give him any credit at all. Cowboys play 32-31 of offense. They play 27-30 of defense. They they get the lead at the half. They've scored 19.4 points in the first half. They've allowed 8.8. Okay, so they play from in front. Now, they've lost some close games to good, good teams. I get that, right? But they've been able to control the pace of the game, and they stop the opponent from running the football. Right. The last two weeks, you know, they've only allowed 138 yards passing. Of course, they played DeVito and poor Bryce Young. So, you know, they've been very good defensively and they play from in front. And I think Washington is good with the division. We know that Rivera is able to play cover against this, but they're going to have to protect their quarterback. Like, How does Washington block this team? And you know Washington's not going to create turnovers. I mean, that's what's something they just haven't been able to do. <clears throat> and so, and so, to me, the, this Cowboy team is interesting. I mean, it's because they are the they are the Eagle team of last year in the second quarter. They average eleven point three points in the second quarter this year. They've scored one hundred and thirteen in ten games, and the, they and Washington allows nine point four in that quarter. I think if they play from in front, 
it, it could get bad, but I think Washington does keep it close like they always do. Yeah, I mean, Washington, like their pass game, like you said, like it gets Howell killed, but when he's when he does have time, he's able to find those receivers. And McLaurin's really good. And this could be another one where the absence of Trayvon Diggs is felt, but Deron Bland's been awesome. I mean, the guy has six interceptions, four of them for yeah. touchdowns. Like, I, I, how they've been able to get him going. And he was good last year as well, but he's even taken it up another level in, a, in, a, in, in replacement of Trayvon Diggs, who's on the IR. Uh, the last Thursday night game, Thanksgiving game, I should say, uh, Niners at the Seahawks. San Francisco, a seven-point favorite. Sounds like Geno Smith will play for Seattle. Pete Carroll, he was limited in practice earlier this week. Sounds like he should be good to go. The total's at 44. Yeah, I mean, why, why is why is C.J. Stroud being talked about as the MVP and Brock Purdy isn't? I mean, like seriously, why isn't he? I mean, last year Brock Purdy was was good, you know, but he's really good this year. I mean, he's really good this year, and you know, he's accurate as hell with the football. Why, why do we stigmatize players because of where they get drafted, right? Like, why is that? Like, why can't we just watch this guy play? And just say, you know, he's really good. Like, he's really good. Why do we constantly have to sit there and think, oh, you know, he threw two interceptions here. I mean, his first half, he's 18 to 2 in touchdowns and interceptions. In the first half, he's 73% completion. He's thrown nine touchdowns, no interceptions, 7.6 yards per attempt. And they get the lead. And they start fast. I mean, they are really good with them. And when they run the football, they're even more effective. And when he's throwing the ball as accurately as he could, you know, I mean, this is such a good team. I mean, but they've held the ball. They're like Dallas. They've held the ball for 31-26. Their defense is only on the field 28-34. And if, if, if Seattle keeps it close, it'll be because they've executed on third down. That's where the game is. And you can execute on the 49ers on third down if you block them. They're 23rd in the league in third down defense. So. I just think to me, like we've talked about, these are the kind of games where you want to take Seattle on the points, but I think Purdy's really good. And I think Seattle's going to have a hard time blocking the front. I mean, look, Washington made it a three-point game when they were up there, and they only, they only lost by three. And the numbers back it up on Brock Purdy. QBR, he leads by a mile, not like by a significant margin there. He's 77 in his QBR, tops in the league. EPA per play, he has a pretty wide margin as well on that. So, like, the numbers show that Brock Purdy should be in the MVP conversation, which if they continue to win, I think eventually he'll get there. But right now, it seems like there's a little bit of an apprehension to put him in that conversation. Uh, we do get a Black Friday game, Michael, for the first time in league history. Black Friday. <laughs> we get Thursday, Friday, Sunday, Monday. I mean, this is is exactly what we want. Uh, the Jets are hosting the Miami Dolphins right now. Miami, a nine and a half point favorite, 10 over at DraftKings, total 41. Zach Wilson has been benched. It is now Tim Boyle at quarterback for Gang Green. I mean, how bad must you be if Tim Boyle is going to be the starter? I mean, Tim Boyle averaged 48.4% completions at UConn in the games he played, right? I mean, I, I don't want to disparage the guy. I mean, the guy's in the league because he got signed by Green Bay. When Aaron Rodgers was on Green Bay's team, he got cut. He kind of bounced around. Then he came back to Green Bay. He's Nathaniel Hackett's offense. But, like, how does he evoke any confidence in what you're going to be able to do? Like, look, I think Zach Wilson, I don't think he loves football. I think it's clear, you know, you can't go down that road. You know, they've turned the ball over 10 times in the last four games. Uh, It's hard. But this offensive line, how are they going to block this Miami front? But – I, you go to Tim Boyle, like, is that going to really help things out? Is that going to matter? I, I don't see. I, I mean, Femi, I don't know how you start Tim Boyle. 48.6% completion percentage at UConn. I mean, he's bounced around the league. He knows what to do, but can he actually do it? I mean, the one thing about the Jets, and I think you see this in their offense, they can't, They the reason they don't run the ball is because they can't convert third downs. They can't stay on the field. They're 22% on third down. They can't convert third and short. They can't convert anything. And so what, even when they get into a third and two, which everybody says is manageable, they can't manage it. I think this opens up a huge can of worms. I mean, as bad as Zach Wilson is, Tim Boyle can't be very good, especially against this Miami defense, which we come back from the break, I want to talk about, because Miami, like Kansas City, is a really good defensive team. Yeah, this number was sitting at eight, then the news came out that Boyle was going to start. Betting market, very skeptical of Tim Boyle. Goes from 8 to then 10, now sitting around 9 and a half, 10, depending on where you shop. We'll wrap up the pot on the other side. 
So the betting market is skeptical of Tim Boyle going up against this Miami Dolphins defense. But would you lay that big number, though, with Miami on the road, Black Friday? Kind of a weird situation travel-wise, but it's also Tim Boyle on the other side. Yeah. I mean, so here's how I looked at this game. Like, I looked at the Raider game last week. I thought, okay, the Raiders will score between 10 and 13 points against a good Miami defense. I was counting on Miami scoring 30, okay? I thought Miami would score 30 on the Raiders, and they couldn't do it. Miami has averaged 20.5 points per game over the last four games. You know, they have not been the same team. They can't run the football as effectively or as explosively as they had earlier in the year. And then when you peel back Tua, who's got more concerned to be the MVP than Brock Purdy, but when you peel back Tua's numbers on third down, like everybody thinks Miami's this an elite team offensively and they can do whatever they want. Well, it's a little bit of a, of a misconception because they're so good at making those explosive plays. I mean, Tyreek Hill has 39% of the Miami Dolphins first downs passing. 39%. Think about that. I mean, and they're so good. But Miami, on third down, only converts an average of four third downs a game. So if you get them up to 15 or 16 third downs, which is hard to do, they're not going to convert very many of those. I mean, they're not a good third down team. Now, and then when you get them on third down, Tua's numbers go dramatically down. He's a 60% completion player on third down. He averages 7.4 yards per attempt on third down. He's only run for one first down. He's thrown eight interceptions, and he's had uh, eight touchdowns. He's thrown five interceptions. So when it gets to a third down game, which people have tried to make it because they've stopped this explosive run. Remember, I said earlier in the pod, they averaged 84.7 yards running the ball the last four games. First five, first five, throw the Bronco out 148. So they're not explosively scoring like the Chiefs. Even though they have explosive players, they're not able to do that. So that's where, can they score 30 on the Jets? Yeah, I think they could. And Boyle probably could give them seven. Last week, uh, O'Connell threw three interceptions, but none of them went back for a touchdown. I mean, the, the, the interception of Phillips was getting ready to go for a touchdown to cover, but he got tripped up and tackled by O'Connell. So. I think that's the only question I have. I mean, think about this. The Jets have scored 18 points in the first quarter, Femi. That's 1.8 per game. They're going to play from behind. And when you're playing from behind against the Vic Fangio defense, that means you're in a lot of third downs, which the Jets can't convert. You can't stay ahead of the chains. You're playing from behind. And that bad, that shitty offensive line is going to get exposed. So, I, I, I mean, it's to me, I think it's too much of a number. I get why it moved away from Boyle, even though it, it really was, it was really a total thing about Boyle than it was about Zach Wilson. It's and, and this is a, a Jets offense that has, I believe, nine offensive touchdowns so far this season, and we're at Thanksgiving. Like, like that's <laughs> that's inexcusable. So I guess something had to change. We'll see if that changes for the better. Uh, speaking of change, Michael, in the AFC North, the Steelers taking on the Bengals. Obviously, we noted it'll be Jake Browning for Cincinnati starting, but the Steelers made the decision that fans have been clamoring for. Dating back to last season, probably, they fired offensive coordinator Matt Canada. It will now be Mike Sullivan and Eddie Faulkner, who are taking over as the interim play callers, kind of just taking on that decision, uh, the both of them as well. But do you expect to see a different Steelers offense here, or is the problem at quarterback with Kenny Pickett and, and some other issues? Well, they say Sullivan and Pickett are very close. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Look. You know, they are they can't run different plays. I mean, the, the, the Raiders fired McDaniel. They're running the same plays, right? They're, you know, sometimes they're more effective against certain teams. So I think Pittsburgh uh, is limited by, you know, what they are offensively. Uh, it, and the scheme and how they set it up, they're 28th in points scored. They're 28th in yards. They're 34. They can't make plays in the passing game. I mean, they're 25th in EPA per play. So they haven't had more than 22 first downs in a game. And they only did that once. They're 30th overall in first down. So I think what Mike Tomlin decided, Femi, was, he look, we've given this as much as we can. We've tried. I think he backed Matt Canada. Matt Canada, great guy, all that. But he's tried everything in his power to give Canada a chance to do his job effectively. And at the end of the day, they can't score touchdowns. I do think there will be a lift. But the more Pickett gets involved, will he protect the ball? You know, they got to play a certain way. They're limited by their offensive line and by his ability to throw the ball. I, I don't I think it may be a little bit of a rush, but I can't imagine it's going to be. I mean, I'm sure there'll be some more trick plays. I'm sure they'll do different things. And I'm sure these two new guys will want to they like stuff that that Canada didn't like. 
and it'll look a little different. But I, I do think that they're going to have to kind of bring somebody in in Pittsburgh to kind of revamp this whole offense because right now they're they're behind the eight ball. Yeah, like Mike Tomlin said, we're in the business of trying to score touchdowns, and they hadn't been doing that there, losing last week 13-10 to to the Cleveland Browns. How about the AFC South showdown? This is going to determine first place heading into the final month of the regular season. Jacksonville at Houston, the Jaguars right now, one-and-a-half point favorites, total 48-and-a-half. Here's another showcase game for C.J. Stroud, the runaway offensive rookie of the year, uh, against this Jacksonville Jaguars team, who they beat badly in Duval County uh, about six weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, look, and we know this about Lawrence, right? He's better on the road than he is at home. I mean, he's better on the road than he is at home. And so, you know, this is an, uh, this is one of those where, look, they got to win this. They, they can't come away without a win. And the San Francisco game was somewhat humiliating. They got back on track. But it was Will Levis, right? I mean, Will Levis wasn't very good. He hasn't been very good. You, when you watch Tennessee play, you have to throw away Levis's numbers because they were mostly in the fourth quarter. This will be the best defense I think Houston's seen since they played them in week one when they when Houston put, you know, they, they, they threw for 280 yards against them. This is very good on red zone defense. They're very good on third down. You know, uh, Houston's going to have to, CJ's going to have to make plays. But last week, you know, they turned the ball over so often in the red zone. That game would have not been as close as it was had they not done that. Stroud's playing really good. I have a feeling that Jacksonville's, they're going to play a lot better. They have to. And and Lawrence has got to play better. I mean, Lawrence, as I went through last week, has not had those kind of games that we think he would have. He's had 29 games in his career under four, under seven yards per attempt. And a lot of them are with Peterson. This perception that he's better with Peterson, it's pretty much been the same if you peel back and look at the numbers. I think this will be a fun game. You, you know, Houston at home is a good team. Yeah, and that'll be a raucous environment, I'm sure, with everything that's at stake. Houston has a chance to sweep Jacksonville and have the season tiebreaker, which could come down to who ultimately wins the division there. Staying in the division, this is kind of a sneaky game when you look at the wild cards for both the AFC and the NFC, Tampa and Indianapolis. Colts right now, two and a half point favorites, total 44. The big news with Indy, though, this week was releasing former All-Pro linebacker Shaquille Leonard there, which obviously he hasn't been quite the same guy since the injury, yeah. which is unfortunate because he was looking like one of the best no. linebackers in the league yeah but i mean when people act surprised that he got cut it's like are you watching the tape i mean the raiders i mean the patriots could have lined up and run inside zone right at him and you know he's just not the same player yeah. you know he's got name appeal and he's got this huge contract and good for him it's all guaranteed but he's not the same player that that did not surprise they needed to get him away because like a lot of great players they want to keep playing right they, they don't see that they're not playing well and so when you demote them, it becomes very toxic within your locker room. So they had to do this. They had to make this move. Look, they're not a great defense to begin with. And he wasn't really helping them. It's going to be, this will be an interesting game because the Bucs, I think if you watch the San Francisco game, the Bucs moved the ball pretty effectively against San Francisco. I, Baker threw it better than I thought he was going to throw it. And, you know, they had some burps in the red zone. They, they kind of didn't finished drives. I thought if you took San Francisco, you're lucky to kind of cover that game when you really study it and peel it back. I just think to me, I don't know why the Colts are favored. They're going to have a hard time running the ball on the, on the Bucks. The Bucks get in that bare front and they, they take away that outside zone run, which is what they want to do. The Patriots did the same thing. I mean, the Patriots win that game last week, two weeks ago over in Germany. I mean, what do you think this line should be? It should be a pick them. If you're getting two and a half in the Bucks, I think you got to take it. Yeah, I think I think if you get three as well, that's that's the ultimate one right there where you just bet Tampa yeah, Bay. But it won't go to three. Yeah, it just tells you how much they really want you to take. The Bucks are the play here. Yeah, you got to take the Bucks here. They because they're not going to three. They don't want to give you the three. Probably Bucks are pass. You're right on that regard. Let's get to the afternoon slate on Sunday. The big game is in Philadelphia. Bills at the Eagles. Uh, right now, that line is down to three and a half at DraftKings, but it looks like it wants to go to three. Total 48 and a half. It's, yeah, it's three pretty morning, much for most I, places. I, yeah, when I went over my notes this morning, it was three everywhere. I mean, I, I didn't. I don't know. Maybe we have it at DraftKings at three and a half still. Yeah. And if you can get that, I mean, look, I, I don't like the matchup for Buffalo at all because. Buffalo, I know you can lure yourself to thinking that, you know, that uh, Philly, you can throw on Philly. But if you take away Diggs, where's, where's Buffalo going with the ball, right? And, you know, can Buffalo play toe-to-toe -to -toe with Philly? I think that's the fundamental question. Can Buffalo stop the run game of Philadelphia? I think that's going to be the key, you know? I mean, Philly, 
for all their talk about A.J. Brown, and he's great. Don't get me wrong. They want to run the ball. I mean, the last two weeks against Dallas and against the, the Chiefs, they won both games. They threw for 183 against Dallas. They threw for 180. They threw for 124 against the Chiefs and won both games. Won both games. When they, when they lost, when they beat the Jets, and they lost to the Jets and they beat Miami and they beat Washington, I mean, they turned the ball over eight times in those three games. And they didn't run for 100 yards in either of those games. Philly wants to run the football. They want to run it. They're third in rushing attempts. You know, they're only 21st in yards per attempt. They want to run the football. That's what they want to do. That's where they really kind of sets everything else up. And when you, they don't have that, that's when they struggle. That's why they scored. You know, they, they struggled to score a lot of points against Dallas. You know, they moved it. They got to run the ball. And I think you can run the ball in Buffalo. I really do. Yeah, I think a lot of the Sharps took the three and a half because they see this as a quote-unquote bad spot for Philadelphia coming off of the big win Monday night in that Super Bowl rematch. But I agree with you in terms of the X's and O's. I would favor Philadelphia on the X's and O's side of thing. Here, we got a minute left, two rapid-fire quick ones. First question, who's starting at quarterback for the New England Patriots, and does it matter as they take on the New York Giants? I think the problem with New England is Zappi can't, as bad as Mac Jones is, I'm not sure Zappi can beat him out. I mean... My guess it'll it has to stay Mac because you know Zappy has it depends on how they practice. What's today? Today is Wednesday. Yep. I think it'll depend on how they practice Wednesday and Thursday. If Zappy has a good day in practice, I think they want Zappy to be the starter, but he's got to earn it. They're just not going to give you the job, right? And so that that I think is the case. Yeah, Mac Jones just said to the media if he's if he's starting, said quote, "Hope so. That's the plan. I think." Last one is this: Brandon Staley's last stand on Sunday Night Football against the Ravens. No, I mean, you know, he's playing great defense. He's playing. You didn't know that. He's playing, I'm co- I'm confident. playing great defense. I'm confident in that, Michael. I'm confident in that. Uh, I mean, he's playing great defense. I mean, I'm sure Lamar sees it that way, too. I can't wait. You know, yep. I can't wait. That might open at four. It's down to three and a half. Someone likes him. We're betting him. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Safe travels wherever you're headed. We'll be back on Monday to react to all of it.